0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. What the hell are we waiting on? Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Do you want it or not? Rick Goslin. Do you understand there's a price to pay? And Clark Judge. Can we have fun? You're damn right. I demand that we
1: have fun. Well, Welcome back to the second hour of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, along with Rick and Ron. And in the next 60 minutes... The three of us will be going deep into Thanksgiving, speaking to Hall of Fame great Joe Delamalure, who was involved in one of the most memorable Thanksgiving games, and, I said, and, Pardon our own Thanksgiving turkeys and just a guess, guys, but NFL officials will not be on that list. But first, yeah, first we want to check in with one of our closest, smartest, and glibest friends in and around the NFL, and that would be former Super Bowl coach Brian Billick, now an analyst with the NFL Network. And Brian, yes, I'll say it on this week, we are especially thankful to have you join us that's very kind of you glib is that a good thing or yeah, that's a good thing a <laughs> <kind> of... <laughs> how, how'd you, <laughs> you like, like that you. In, how'd you like that intro at the top of the segment you recognize that guy's voice uh well uh, yeah you, you tell you what he, he's right though you gotta have fun <laughs> you know how he finished that segment let's go get some snacks <laughs> Hey, um, first things first, Brian. Um, you're the guy who first predicted the Browns, uh, the Browns would, would not win a game this year. And, of course, you did that back in the summer. But 11 games into the season, you look like what we thought you were, a genius. So how come nobody <laughs> no. called on you for a prediction on the presidential election?
0: I know. I probably would have nailed I would have been the only one to nail
1: that one. You know, and, that, it's, and and I go back
0: to that, and I caught a little heat from it, obviously, in Cleveland. And, and just to clarify, I never said they'd go 0-16. I would never predict anybody to go 0-16 or 16-0. It's just mathematically, you know, improbable. But what I did say was I just can't see where they're going to get a win. I right. can't see a matchup with the team that I saw over the summer going in, and obviously notwithstanding the quarterback situation with RG3, which you had to kind of know going in was going to be problematic. Uh, and I don't take any joy in saying that. I mean, I was born in Ohio. I'm, a, I'm an Ohio guy. My daughter went to Ohio. I take no joy in, in, in knocking the uh, Cleveland Browns. But just looking at the way they're set up, and you know, they got they got Brad Pitt and Jonas Hill putting the roster together. and just kinda
1: <laughs> I don't know that the money ball thing's going to work.
0: <laughs> Brian excellent. didn't
1: Brian didn't you predict the Ravens to go sixteen and zero in two thousand? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes absolutely we knew we were good. if i would have known that I'd, I'd have been like who was the uh, who was the guy that bet the odds for us to go to the super bowl that year made a ton of money i wish i wish i'd have known we were going to be good that year
1: <laughs> were you a little nervous in the first half of
0: that jets game it looked like that one might go either way there for a little bit and the jets do have the ability yeah and you know and i've been, you know obviously i've done i've done a lot of shows in cleveland since and because everybody keeps bringing that up. Uh, and I take no joy in the fact that Cleveland's not very good. And I said, you know what, they're, they're going to beat somebody. They really are. Um, but you just kind of got that sense. That's the problem they have right now. What is their reference frame, whether it was the Jets game or whether it looked like they were going to beat the Baltimore Ravens and went out to the big league? What's their reference frame to say, oh, yeah, we can do this? Or there's not the, the tendency because of the background now and the way things are going to just kind of, they're, they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, okay, we're doing good now, but, but yeah, we know this can't last because they don't have any other reference frame. That's, that's the tough thing for Hugh Jackson right now. We talk about changing a culture, that mindset. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. And it is very, very real when you get into that groove of, well, we've been here before. We know
1: we'll find some way to screw it up. Hey, Brian, I've got a friend who thinks that going zero and sixteen is more difficult than going sixteen to zero. Do you agree with that?
0: Oh boy, that's an interesting thought. You know, it's just—it just—it's so hard to believe that that you could do either one. I mean, to go zero sixteen—that's a hard thing to do. I remember I was—I did the game. Uh, I was doing games for Fox, and I did the Redskins-Detroit Lions game. Uh, the next year. Of course, they went the 0-16. And I forget how many games it was into the season the next year before Detroit had won. And it was against the Redskins. It was in Detroit. And and I remember that game because I remember visiting with, uh, uh, with, with, the, with the, the Redskins before. And they all made, they all understood, look, you don't want to be the guys to lose to Detroit. You know, just like that. <laughs> you don't want to be the team to lose to Cleveland. Because I, I live that one. We were we played my last year, the year I got fired, and we were terrible. Of course, we went down to Miami and it was an O for team in Miami, and and lost to the Miami Dolphins. I think that was their only win in the year, which obviously didn't do me any good. Uh, Ed Reed <laughs> comes out of the middle, and they get a touchdown uh, down the field, and I'm, I think my quarterback was Troy Smith, or and I'm down to, to, to three offensive linemen and whatever. Uh, but yeah, you don't want to be that team to lose to the Cleveland Browns, and and uh, Jim Zorn was the head coach in Washington. Didn't do him any good either, losing to the Detroit Lions after they I think well, they were zero and twenty at that point or zero and twenty one. They went four or five games into the season, the second season before they finally broke the string.
1: Hey Brian, enough of the bad football. Let's talk good football. How yeah, do you, you go. Explain, Let's get off that stuff. <laughs> How do you explain Dak Prescott, a fourth round draft pick, rookie, eighth quarterback taken? And he's playing like Randall Cunningham in 1998. How do you explain that?
0: You don't. You don't. Because Dak Prescott was taken where he was rated out. And it wasn't just the Cowboys. You know, I always only half-jokingly say, look, the, before you give him too much credit, Cowboys pass on him for three rounds, too, just like everybody else in the league. It's kind of like Tom Brady. You can give credit to the New England Patriots, but they mean, that means they pass on a Hall of Famer for five rounds like everybody else. Uh, Dak Prescott was drafted where he was rated out, and the league saw it in that way. But how do you count for it, particularly at the quarterback position? How do you count for Russell Wilson going in the third round? Um, what we didn't see and what we're now seeing with this young man, certainly he had physical tools. And coming out of the offense that he had in Mississippi State, you had no idea that, one, this guy was going to be so calm in the pocket, that his fundamentals were going to be so solid, uh, that he's going to have the vision that he does. Now, yes, it's nice to have that offensive line and have Ezekiel Elliott to be able to hand the ball off to, uh, but that doesn't detract from the fact that this guy, he's just special. And the calmness, you know, the other day uh, when we saw the, the big game that they had against Pittsburgh, you know, everybody was still spec. well, it's because of some of the things he could do outside the pocket. He didn't run for a single yard against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He did what he did from the pocket, and that's that's what surprises me the most. Not that he would be productive and could do some things with his legs, but the fact that he is so proficient from the pocket, nobody could see that coming. Well, one thing I'd like you to do for us, Brian, if you could settle this argument. We've had this ongoing argument uh, between the voices of reason, which, believe it or not, would be myself, and uh, and Clark Judge ranting on the subject of, of uh, Hall of Fame candidate Terrell Owens. Is he or is he not? A Hall of Famer? Does he belong? He's the third all-time leading receiver. He's, we all know the numbers. Clark thinks he didn't play well with others, and uh, therefore shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Just wondering what your take is on him as a as a great receiver, productive receiver, and Hall of Famers. Well, to me, it's 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 always so tough when you're talking about in you know, a historical reference, first for a receiver. You have to go over the numbers. It's different if it's an offensive lineman, uh, obviously at a position where the numbers aren't going to tell the full story. The numbers themselves obviously say that that Terrell Owens belongs in the conversation of the great receivers, that he was done it over a long enough uh, stint of time, long enough career, uh, obviously highly productive, but once you get past the numbers, for me, it's got to be one of two things. And, and this one's a tough one because a lot of times it's only within the reference of having been around and seeing this player play as opposed to just looking at it in, in a, from an historical lens. One, did, did he define a position, did he define a role that exists in the NFL, a.k.a. for me, you know, obviously my bias, but Chris Carter. Chris Carter kind of defined and set the the tone for what a slot receiver. Not that he wasn't good on the outside, but he was the prototype. He you can't tell the story of the evolution of the third wide receiver, the slot receiver in the NFL, without talking about a Chris Carter. So that puts you in a Hall of Fame conversation. Obviously, the other thing is, are you that guy? Could you could you dictate and dominate coverage when you were playing? Uh, and and I think Terrell Owens was. He he was. He was one of the first that really brought that level of physicality to the game that we see a little bit more, whether it's a Calvin Johnson, now with a Dez Bryant. Uh, But at the time, I don't know that we had seen too many receivers of that physicality. So in that regard, I think given his numbers that clearly put him in the conversation, and the fact that he, he kind of was on the edge of a new wave of a type of receivers. You know, I always am uh, a little sheepish to say, oh, absolutely, this guy's a Hall of Famer, or that guy's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, but certainly, he belongs in the conversation, given the criteria that I just talked about.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Brian, we've got about 20 seconds. I'll make this quick. Randy Moss or Terrell Owens? Oh, to, no, that's now Now you're putting that in a different
0: category. Yes. Randy Moss yes. is yeah. a transcendent player. He's and i a leading biased, question. I had Randy for the year. But there's never been a talent in the National Football League that had just the sheer physical, raw ability of a Randy Moss, and I don't know that we'll ever see one again.
1: Thanks, Brian. As always, a pleasure, and thanks for checking in. All right, guys. Thanks, Brian. That was former Super Bowl coach Brian Billick, now with the NFL Network. Up next our Thanksgiving Day Pardons. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Now, the reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com.